Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Whether or not you manage a team, you are leading when you're trying to influence people and outcomes. So what we want to talk today is this concept of spark. How do you become a spark in your organization? And also, what do we mean by spark? Regardless what your title and your seniority is, and I want to also talk about how you create a culture of accountability and feedback and how do you create alignment around you. I'm sure you've all heard your managers say, bring everybody with you, and we're going to talk about how to bring everybody with you. So my guest today is Angie Morgan. Angie's an executive coach who works with high-performing leaders to help them get to their next level results. And after her service in the Marine Corps, she's created, co-created with a couple of partners, the leadership development firm Lead Star. She co-wrote the New York Times best-selling books, Spark, and also Leading from the Front. And their third book, Bet on You, How Leaders Win with Risk, will be out in spring of next year. That means we have to have her back again. If you can learn more about all of them at www.leadstar.us. Angie, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm excited about the conversation. I always like to start with why. Why does this topic about spark and alignment matter to you? Sort of what's the problem you see out there to solve? Yeah, that's a really important question. And I think I centered around leadership. And I had a really unique, as you were reading, experience um, in my life as you were reading in my bio. I joined the Marine Corps at a relatively young age. Um, I went through college on an ROTC scholarship I served in the Marine Corps, and when I left active duty, I noticed something pretty important for me. Um, That was how the term leadership was used. In the Marine Corps, leadership was a verb. It was an action. It was behavior. It was something everyone at every level of the organization was expected to demonstrate. And then I get to the private sector, and we talked about our leadership and leaders as if it was the managers who we were working with and around. So in many ways, it was treated like a noun. And that struck me as a tremendous opportunity to help professionals understand better what true leadership is. It's not a position on an org chart. It's action and behavior. And there are action and behaviors that you can consciously build to spark, to lead, to whether it's just leading yourself, you can be someone who influences and inspires. So, you know, I think we all have um, our own myths about what the Marine Corps or the military or whatever branch of government from whatever country that you're listening in is like. Mm -hmm. And we tend to believe that it's a very authoritarian style where the commanders give the commands and everybody else just executes. But you're describing a completely different world where everyone is expected to lead regardless of rank. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, it's, it's definitely um, a misunderstanding. And to your point, there are definitely aspects that are pretty autocratic. Like I think people think when you join the Marines, you check your brain at the gate and you become this robot who just does what they're told. But that 
might be in training when you get out into the Marine Corps and start serving you know, as a Marine and imagine that we were deployed to Afghanistan and you were my boss, you may give me direction through a radio, but you're not where I am. So there's a tremendous amount of creativity, initiative, innovation that has to happen at the individual level to be successful because the circumstances in which you're called to lead, there's no rule book and there's nobody really to guide you. So there's a lot of trust and responsibility placed on you that requires your sound judgment and decision-making skills. So one of the very important lessons around leadership that I learned was how to make really good decisions. You could summarize my six months at um, the basic school, which was like this infantry officer course, which is really understanding how to you know, build your judgment and exercise your judgment in a you know, lawful, ethical, moral, all those things, and in a realistic and practical way. You talk um, in your book about the time that you were in basic training, and you're all equals in basic training, but everybody is expected to lead one exercise or one day or one mission or one whatever at some point in time. And now, you know, yes, you have the form, the authority, but your colleagues are quite willing to call you if they think you're not. Tell us the story about that and about what you learned in the process. Set the stage here. Your peers are one of the hardest groups to lead because you have no authority over them. So in this training environment, I had imaginary authority because I was in charge for a week of my peers, but they knew in a week I was going to get cycled through and one of our other peers was going to lead. And so it was a really challenging leadership environment because your peers don't hold back, especially when you're working in a really competitive environment where we have to evaluate each other. And we're evaluating each other because we're all trying to get the jobs that we want, the duty stations post experience. So we're pretty brutal to each other. And so um, so I had this experience where like everybody else, whoever gets a performance evaluation, you read about 15 things that are really good about you and then two things that are brutal and it just blows your mind and it sends you into a panic. And it was a really great lesson though. Again, this was early, early 20s. Um, for how to give appropriate feedback or how not to give (laughs) constructive feedback. And the realization that in your peer environment, you have to build the muscle to lead through influence. I think a lot of folks skip that lesson and they get to a managerial position and they just don't know how to lead through influence. They know how to lead through brute force. They know how to lead through micromanagement, but they've yet built those skills And, and make no mistake, these are skills They just need to be, first off, recognized that they're skilled and then identified that you can cultivate them. Okay, I am certain that everybody listening to this is hanging on the next question I'm going to ask you, and I can't resist, which is, all right, how do you build that muscle to lead through influence? Yeah, it's one of, so the Marine Corps, they give you um, 11 leadership principles. And one of them, which I love the most, is know yourself and seek self-improvement. And that is something I, throughout my career, and it's been a long time since I wore a uniform, that really sticks with me. One of the most important relationships we have is a relationship with ourself. So continuously building self-awareness and continuously, you know, seeking to leverage your strengths to shore up your weaknesses, but being insanely curious on where you can get better. My dad is a career educator, and he has this phrase that I just love so much, Um, He, he, as a high school principal, used to say, you know, there's a difference 
when somebody says to me that they have 20 years of experience. He goes, there are some people who legitimately have 20 years of experience. And then there's some people who have, you know, one year of experience repeated 20 times. (laughs) And so like, we have to just, you know, and if anything, this pandemic has taught us, right, is that we have to stay relevant. We have to continuously learn. There's always something we can learn about ourselves. And if we are kind of scared or intimidated, rather than shy away from that opportunity, we should just challenge ourselves. What is it? What is this exposing within me that could be like this amazing journey if I was just a little bit more open-minded to it? Um, I'd like to bottle that commitment. I love your phrase to stay insanely curious on how I get better as a person, as a leader, as an influencer. I'd like to bottle that. And I'd like to give it away to people because I know a whole bunch of people who are actually scared to death to hear the feedback, to process that feedback, to realize what it says about them, and then to do something or choose not to do something as the case may be. So, you know, I think that's really, really important. Um, the other, the, one of the things that I love about the book and about your philosophy is this notion that we have to influence peers. I talk to so many young people who want to lead. Okay, so millennials want to lead, Gen Z want to lead. They've been taught their entire careers or lives that progress happens when you're leading. But they think that means I have to have direct reports to lead. And you don't see it that way because I happen to agree with you. The hardest job of leading is influencing people. But tell me what you see and what you think. Well, it's a great point. Um, Definitely regarding your observations among people, just again, buying into that thought that leadership is about me being responsible for people. But we all know, and this is really why we wrote Spark, we all know that there is somebody in our organization, perhaps a peer, who is just the go-to person. They may not have direct reports, but you have to ask yourself, what are they doing differently? And I'll tell you a few things I think they're doing differently. They're, They're taking initiative. They're not just doing what is asked They're doing probably 10% more. They're anticipating the needs of those around them. They're um, better time managed. Um, They communicate in ways that have meaning to the other people. So, for example, if we had a boss and I know that he is a, you know, or she is a bulleted person, bottom line up front, I'm not going to send him a long email or her a long email. I'm just going to bullet up front. And then, you know, maybe my colleague does the opposite. Like mm-hmm. they, they seek to understand the people who they're working around so they can be credible in their eyes. And so that is, you know, essentially a little bit of emotional intelligence, but it's also just taking greater responsibility and claim for your career and recognizing that there's always more you can do to be successful. Right. Um, I am a big fan of emotional intelligence. There's no question you need it in order to lead it well. But labeling an emotional intelligence, short circuits, the massive things that are involved in actually doing it and doing it well. Mm-hmm. So your thing about that take initiative, maybe 10% more, you manage your time, you really see the needs and the motivations and what's going on with the people around you, and then you communicate in ways that has particular meaning. And it reminds me, I was um, today speaking with a very senior leader that I admire a great deal, and I have wanted to do some amazing things over the course of his career in this case. And he says his number one frustration with his team around him is that they're not thinking about the business. So they're not thinking beyond what I have to execute right now. They're not thinking about what's out in the future, what's going to disrupt us, where could we grow faster, what's in our way. 
that kind of initiative to think beyond the immediate day-to-day. And yeah. the second thing is to say, you know, you, he would say you got to build the relationships, but what he really does in those relationships is understand what's driving what the person he's working with cares about, whether that's senior or junior, what's their real driver. Okay. Well said, I think, <laughs> on your part. I have, um, and I write about this in Spark, I have a wonderful mentor. He was the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he served for both President Obama and President Trump. So talk about working for two dynamically different types of leaders. And he, I heard him speak at a conference recently, um, and he was saying, he's like, naturally, yeah, they're two really dynamically different leaders. And whose responsibility is it to adapt? It's not theirs. <laughs> It's mine. <laughs> and I think that that's something that we can all take is just ownership of our relationships. You know, if, if, you know, in our work environment, just really understand that you own your career, you know, imagine that you own your relationships. If you're not happy with something, if you make changes within your, yourself, the relationship is going to change. You can't control other people. You can't force other people. Sure. You can give them feedback, but that isn't a mandate. That's not going to direct them. And right. so you have it within your power to reshift and reshape everything. Right. I, um, I'm going to go back to this notion of the younger generation, uh, younger generations, I should say, <laughs> wanting to lead. Um, I find that when you have people who report to you and sort of have to do what you tell them to do or else their performance is on the line, that is the worst test of your ability to lead. I think that's called dictatorship or um, compliance or some other version, the real test, I think, ultimately, of whether you have any good ideas to take the business forward, whether we can give you larger responsibilities, is whether or not your peers and people who don't have to join you are actually willing to join you. And we're right back to that notion of influence. Influence people and outcomes, I think, was your definition. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually working with somebody right now who does a really great job of you know, managing and leading his team and his peer relationships and his senior leadership relationships aren't as hot. And if you can't get those right, and if you can't invest the energy to improve them, you're stuck. There's just no right. other way around it. And that's, you know, their, their cap, right, on their career growth. And so no matter what stage of your career you are, you can't forget the other stakeholders in your work not just your clients. It's not just your boss. You've got peers. You've got other people whose trust you need and cooperation you need. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more on that one. And the investment in that time and that energy is going to usually pay off in dividends. I agree. All right. So let's turn to this idea about being a spark. So you said it earlier. It's about leading with a verb. So the actions and behaviors that absolutely anybody can do where I'm trying to influence people and outcomes, but I don't necessarily own them. I'm just trying to get them to do what I want them to do or what I think is the right way forward or to contribute to what they think is the right way forward. Um, What does it take? What do we have to do to become a spark? There's a couple of things. And we like to also describe them to add to that. I mean, you've done a great job of recapping is that they're kind of the doers in organization. They're also the thinkers, but they're essentially the people who get stuff done. They're the people who say, isn't there a better way to do this that might cost less money, be more efficient? You know, they're not necessarily the people who are throwing the parties and the extroverts and the most charismatic, but they're just the ones who you go to when you need something 
done. And so if you're thinking about, okay, I, I understand, I can kind of see and conceptualize who this person is in my work environment, then we have to go back to them. What are they doing so differently? Mm-hmm. And one of the most things, one of the most important things that they're doing is they're building credibility with the people around them. And credibility is in the eye of the beholder. What makes me credible to you, Wanda, might be different than, you know, Josh who's recording this and what might be different to somebody else. And as, as an, an individual, you have to try to see yourself from key stakeholder perspective and just sort of assess like what's important to them because what makes us credible isn't necessarily going to be bright lined in our job description. So in Spark, we write about four keys to credibility, but the favorite one that I should talk about is really simple, but it is profound if managed well. It's just watching your say-do gap making sure the actions or the you know the space between your actions and your words is as small as possible that you commit that you follow through that you don't overpromise and underdeliver and that's actually a trip up that so again simply said oh yeah say do gap i see the trap that high performers fall into is that they commit to everything and they overwhelm themselves and then they flake out and then they burn out because they just can't keep up with the promises that they make and their credibility suffers right yeah. So do you have some, yeah, I think we all suffer from that one. And I think we've gotten a little complacent in a lot of the corporate world. Yeah, well, nobody follows through on what they said they were going to do. So I'll just let that one slide. So it's a slippery slope and you're in good company. Any advice for how to narrow this say-do gap? And I love what you said. It's make it as small as possible between when you said you were going to do it and you're actually doing it as well. Yeah, it's, it's really about understanding the true priorities around you and saying no to the things and no isn't never, it's sometimes just not now, or I'll get to that a little bit later, or it's some way to you know flag for a follow-up conversation, or it's to talk to your manager about reprioritizing things, but your credibility is, lays the foundation for trust. It is so important because without trust, you can't have anything else that we're going to talk about um, in regards to being a spark in your organization, which is why that's why we start with it in the book. It's like trust is, you know, it's the currency in any relationship. And so if you can't do this well, you know, people might like you, but they may not respect you. You may not get chosen to be among those high profile projects that would really be great things for your career. And so it's a small thing or it's a simply stated, but it's a hard thing because again, so I would say starting with no and being really clear on what matters to you and what's important. And to the point you brought up earlier, yeah, kind of back to my computer here. Um, your point you brought up earlier is understanding what's most important to the business. Mm-hmm. I think especially in COVID because our worlds were so, you know, turned upside down, a lot of us did lose sight of what was most important to the business. And maybe we thought it was just, you know, survival of the individuals and the business was going to be okay. And now we're looking into a post-recovery from the pandemic and we started to realize, oh yeah, the business needs to thrive post-pandemic. We better realign our behaviors to make sure we can bounce back. Right. Okay. So the say-do gap, making that as small as possible, and it's what, what you say and what you do, and it's also the time between you say and you do it. Is the, there are both of those, and that's the foundation for trust. Now, I happen to believe that trust is a little more complicated than that, but I would agree with you that if you don't get that gap down, we don't even have the first base for building trust. Do you agree with me or you disagree with me? Oh, I uh, yeah. Trust is a lot more complicated than that. I mean, there's, again, there's 
the keys to credibility, there's transparency. In the next chapter of the book, we talk about personal accountability. Um, Again, credibility is the gateway to it, but there's a host of other qualities that you must demonstrate in order to generate. Okay. So we're on the same page then. All right. You said there are four keys. One of them, the starting point is the say-do gap. What are the other keys? Understand uh, the expectations other people have for you. So meet and exceed expectations would be one of them. And that's, again, you hold the keys to my credibility. Therefore, it is really important for me to understand what success looks like in this relationship. Another one is making sure that you communicate clearly, consistently, constantly to people regarding what's most important, because often our success is not measured just by our actions alone. So making sure we're all on the same page, right? I could be the best store manager at a Gap or an HMM or anywhere like a KFC. I could be the best store manager, but if I don't communicate consistently, constantly to the people on my team um, and orders suffer and quality suffers, then what good is it? And so making sure that that happens. And the final one is having accountability-based conversations when people don't meet the expectations. So again, if you can you know, mind your say-do gap to ensure your credibility, if you can understand the expectations of others, if you, if you can communicate those expectations, and when they don't happen, you can have accountability-based conversations, which is really not bringing HR or putting a paper in somebody's file. It's just, hey, you said that you're going to get this to me by Friday and it didn't happen. So rather than me having to hustle hard and clean up the mess you left, holding you accountable to it is really important. Right. Um, I'm going to focus on the moment. I like all of these because I think the phrasing makes them sound like they're super simple to do, but I like the emphasis on that understand other people's expectations. It's something we assume all the time. You want me to do this, 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 and this. And then frequently I talk to the manager. It's not all of those. All I wanted you to do was a coordination of five pieces of that, not do it yourself. So really asking about those expectations. What do you really need from me? What do you want from me? The third one, the communicate consistently, clearly, and constantly. I think anybody who's leading will say you can't say it enough. You can't say it often enough for one thing. But I'm going to give you a story, again, of a very senior leader I know working for the CEO of a large company. And his strategy in running his business is to send his CEO a bulleted note once a week. Now, mind you, he is running a business. He does a bulleted note because he knows that's what his CEO likes is sort of one, two, three. Um, And he does it weekly because that's what his CEO likes to hear. And basically the content is, I said I was going to do this. Here's where we are. Here's what we're doing on this one. This is done. We're here. Here's the problem we had. Like it's back to that. I said I was going to do. Here's what we're doing. (laughs) Say do gap again. And being clear that he's got his priorities right. That's, I, and I've heard something very similar from my friend of mine calls it the 15-5. I'm going to send my boss an email that's going to take me 15 minutes to write, and it's going to take him five minutes to read. And that's the same thing, just having some loop because if CEOs or any managers for that matter, they're busy, but they need to connect it to the that's business. Right. That's and right. So leading up well, with them. What this one later will say of his CEO is that the CEO goes off the rails when oh. he doesn't have a sense of what's going on. Yeah. So if I haven't heard from you a really long time, I don't know where the business is. Are you thinking about it this way? Are you seeing that? Are you doing this? Are you making progress? I don't know. And then that's when he starts to get 
to be trouble for anybody leading. If you know that, again, about the CEO or any leader, then you just serve it up because that's communicate consistently, constantly, and um, clearly. Okay? All right. So let's talk about accountability-based conversations because I think this is so easy to say and so few people do this incredibly well. Um, again, I was listening to someone give advice about how to manage a team when the team knows more than you do. And the advice was, well, you set some metrics, you have some financial targets, you have some metrics, and you hold them accountable to deliver against the metrics that they set. It seems so simple, right? But then we are humans and we don't want to hurt people's feelings. Or sometimes it's a gray area thing that there's no real clear standard in the HR handbook. Is this my place to talk about it or is this best for their manager? But I think we can all agree, like if you've got feedback for me, that's going to help me do my job better. I want to know. And so it's not like, so I always love people who are, you know, conflict averse or there's an elephant in the room. It's like, we try to put a tablecloth over it so we can't see it. It's still there. And, you know, people who don't want feedback on their own performance, just because you don't want to hear it doesn't mean it's not existing in this world. Right. Isn't it better just to have it, to have the conversation? Because if not, um, not only does trust erode, but resentment builds up in a relationship. And that's how toxic work environments can happen. So it might just take you an ounce of courage to say, hey, you said by Tuesday, it's Thursday and I still haven't got this report from you. And, you know, yeah, I can do it, but I'm not necessarily have the time to do it. And I don't want to build the habit of me always coming in to save the day. Like, I really need you. That's, you know, it's a tough conversation, but it's better than resentment, frustration, more work on your end. Well, it's interesting in your giving of that feedback, what you're doing is staying with the commitments. You said you would do, I don't have, Mm -hmm. which is not, there's no accusation in that. There's no, you were lazy or here's the root problem or here's what you're missing or I'm not put anything on the person that you're giving this feedback to. You've just held them accountable for what they said they would deliver which also means I had to be really clear what I was expecting, but that's another story too. <laughs> right. If I'm clear about it and you didn't do it, and that's, that's always, um, and this is the next chapter that we roll into, it's being self-accountable. It's easier to hold somebody accountable, but we are accountable ourselves. So creating that space in our organization where mistakes, mishaps, missteps, whatever, we can talk about those yeah. with an eye for growth. Yeah, I know everybody will say, no, I can't talk about mistakes or mistakes aren't allowed around here. Mistakes happen, whether you talk about them or not, whether they're allowed around there or not, where human mistakes happen. Much easier to pull them out, on the, put them out on the surface. Okay, so four keys to being a spark. Those Narrowing are- the say-do gap. Yeah. Understanding others' expectations, you, what success looks like, communicating clearly, consistently, and constantly, and having accountability-based conversations. It strikes me that those four are doable if I am formally leading a team, and they're doable for me as an individual every day in the work that I'm doing, regardless whether there's anyone around me or not. I agree. I think that anybody at any level, and besides, if right now you need to have a conversation with somebody you're working with, Think about what you'd prefer to have happen. Say that um, you go to your manager and ask them to have a conversation with the person that you have issue with. 
they're going to get really upset with you because you triangulated the situation. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a little bit more courage, but just talk with your peer and maybe start like soften it. Say, hey, is it okay if I give you feedback? Ask for their permission before you enter the water. And there's, I mean, a tremendous amount of host of communication tactics and techniques to have those conversations, but it's just respectful. Right. It is just respectful. Right. Well, if you keep it to, here's what I want, or here's what I need, or here's what I thought was going to happen, or here's what I was expecting from you, those are a whole lot easier than ones that start with you did or didn't do, especially if it's a peer-to-peer. I can also tell you from watching managers give this feedback, if you're dependent on your manager or your manager's peer to give feedback down through their organization, it gets so filtered by the time it gets down to the person, you can't even guarantee the message was heard anywhere close to what you need it to be. So better to take that courage to have the conversation yourself. That reminds me of the phrase um, in the military, truth is the first casualty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, is that true? (laughs) Oh, is that really true? All right, Angie, this is a perfect place to take a break. Um, And to sort of summarize all of this one, the notion that I like so much in this is that leading is a verb. We need to focus on the verb, the acting part of leading, not the title part of leading. And this is something that everybody in every organization at every level can do. If you focus on the say-do gap, understanding expectations, the communication clearly, consistently, and constantly, and then accountability-based conversations, those can be done by anybody, anywhere. And they strike me as the core to beginning to build your influence with people because that's how you establish your credibility. Okay. All right. My guest today is Angie Morgan. Um, She is with an organization called Lead Star, a co-author of two best-selling books. The first one is called Leading from the Front, which was a New York Times bestselling. And then the most recent one, which I'm a big fan of, is called Spark. And a new one coming out very soon, Bet on You, How Leaders Win with Risk. When we come back, I want to talk about this word alignment. We'll be right back. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement, and we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. 
This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Angie Morgan. The book that we're talking about is Spark. Um, Angie is an executive coach who was a former um, leader, I should say, in the military and the Marine Corps in the U.S., and she's taken her lessons learned from the military, from the Marine Corps, and with her co-authors created this lovely system for how do you develop leaders at any level in the organization. Their website, if you want to know more, is leadstar.us. Okay, so Angie, we were just talking about feedback and about having a culture of accountability, having accountability-based conversations, and that's one of your core components of being a spark. But as I read the book and I looked at all the stories, one of the things that surprised me was the candidness of the feedback in the Marine Corps. I mean, I was surprised. So how did, what's your experience on how we create this culture where people are going to just say what they're thinking? So I will be the first to say not everything that happens in the military should convey to the private sector, you know, like push-ups, things like that. Some of the language that's used, very inappropriate. And I'll say there's also on the same breath, there's something refreshing about always knowing where you stood in an organization, what your boss thought about your performance. Um, People just didn't hold back. Even, you know, there were such clear standards in the military when it came to, you know, your uniform regulations or what to wear out as far as civilian attire goes, that if somebody was subordinate to you, they felt very empowered to let you know. So you were getting it from a 360-degree perspective without any assessment or third-party tool that you can use. And so that was, again, a surprise. When I left active duty and started working in, I started off in pharmaceutical sales, I just noticed how much time people wasted trying to give feedback and dealing with the emotional side of it. And mind you, we're humans. We are emotional beings. There should be some consideration and care given to our feedback. Absolutely. Like I said, not everything conveys from the military, but just, you know, what, what would it be like if we just trusted that if I were to give you feedback and you were to give me feedback, it's not personal. It's about how we get better. I mean, this happens in sports, right? Right. You know, think about a quarterback. They're getting feedback from everyone crowd included. It's about winning. It's about getting better. Well, if you watch sports teams, and I'm going to take it out of the NFL world or the soccer world or the professional world and bring it down into just the local teams um, playing, those teams that are really good, 
are constantly giving each other feedback. I mean, I watch them come off the field and say, all right, here's what I thought you meant by that play. What did you mean? Here's how I interpret it. How can we do that better next time? It's just that constant conversation on how do we get better. But it's amazing to me how little of those conversations we have in the work world, whether it's a large corporation or even a small company, to give that level of honest conversation. Here's what I was expecting. What happened? I didn't understand what you were doing. Exactly. And you think about it, work is the biggest team sport we're a part of. And so when you look at it through that lens, we're all here showing up for work. We may not have a matching uniform, but we all just want to get better. You would think that we'd embrace this notion that feedback, the faster given, the faster taken in, the faster improved, we'd all get better. Right. So are, are you aware of anything that happened in the Marine Corps that made it possible to have a culture that was just so direct and candid about where you stand at every single moment? Well, I think that, again, what, one of the things that the military in general does really, really well, and this is an opportunity for everyone listening, thinking about your own organization, they define their culture very well. You know, what are the leadership principles? What are our core values? I mean, any Marine could rattle off honor, courage, commitment as our core values. What does our performance management system look like? Um, what are the expectations on our job? What are, what's the rhythm in which we're going to deliver feedback, you know, and formal feedback? And so everything is pretty much defined. And that isn't the case in a lot of organizations I go in. There's no real clear expectation on how to deliver it. So you'll work with one manager. They'll give you um, a different type of, you know, feedback rhythm. Then you'll work with somebody else and you'll get a different type of feedback rhythm. One of the things, and I know we were talking about this uh, earlier, you brought up the word alignment earlier in the show, like in the military, there is one meeting template. (laughs) Like, can you imagine? Like there is a, you know, I was talking about the Marine Corps. There's, you know, 250,000 Marines in the Marine Corps and everyone pretty much holds a meeting the same way. Isn't that amazing? Or even like if we're going to work on a project together, and I say project, it's probably more like mission, we're all going to brief the project in the same way. So we're going to talk about the operation, we're going to talk about the situation, we're going to talk about the mission, we're going to talk about how we're going to do it, we're going to talk about the administration that we need and any questions for answer. Like that was like a simple format. I mean, I haven't done that in a really long time, but I can still tell you kind of the way that we're going to do that. And that doesn't happen in business. And so you wonder why we're all misaligned (laughs) or things are working well. It's because, you know, this manager has this agenda. This manager's, you know, agenda doesn't really have one. It's kind of a shoot from the hip agenda. Or somebody here does a really great job of just stating expectations on a Monday morning call for the week ahead. This other manager doesn't. So I think that if organizations did a better job of just defining you know, take, take the guesswork out of the work of managers, they would be much more efficient, much more productive, much more aligned. Wow. That's a whole segment in and of itself. And I agree with you that this notion of just understanding how we run meetings and running them more effectively would save massive amounts of time, let alone rework and disappointment and feedback and everything else that comes with it. Um, I just have to tell one story. I watched one organization a number of years ago in a more creative space in the world who had a very rigid process for how particular review meetings were going to happen. I mean, rigid process. 
down to who sat where. That may be a little overly rigid for some people, but who spoke in what order, how the meeting was going to structure, who was going to decide the decision. I mean, it was a playbook for how this meeting was going to go. And I have never seen better collaboration in my life. And I think it's because we all knew, or they all knew, I should say, the rules of the game. How was this going to go? And there was no guessing. There was no maneuvering around behind the scenes. So I agree. Yeah, it's great. All right. So that brings us to this lovely topic of alignment, um, which I know you're spending a lot of time thinking about. And I know every leader listening anywhere wants to know, how do I get alignment? Because that's where they're going to spend all their time. How do I get people bought in? How do I bring people along with me? And I know people who spend a huge amount of their time making sure that what they decided on one day is actually still nailed down the next day. What's the key to making alignment work? I just had this conversation earlier with a client of mine. I think it starts with clarity. How do you specifically and clearly state what is most important? And it's got to be less than three things. We're here to do these three things. I think organizations sometimes will say these two things are most important. And oh, yeah, these 10 things are too. And so if you're getting misalignment, it's because people don't understand how to prioritize. If we're saying that everything is important, I'm going to dabble. Probably I'm going to dabble in the things that I like the most and I'm most comfortable with. And so then we can easily see how misalignment happens. So I think clarity is absolutely key and narrow it down to, and I even think like themes, right? Like this year is the year of bigger before better. This year is the year of um, performance management or anything. It could be really anything, but just taking the guesswork out of what's most important for your team members and making sure that their behaviors are aligned to that most important thing would, would I say easily, right? But easily create alignment. But it's not easy because what that also requires, too, is change management. People were creatures of habit. Like, we love to do what's most comfortable for us. And so misalignment also happens when we don't want to adopt the technology. We don't want to adopt the process. It's not convenient for me to use, you know, this new, you know, online cloud-based system. Right. And so. That's where accountability and those other things we talked about come start in. to come into start to come into play. <laughs> um, boy, I love so I see two things when it's around clarity and the three things. Right, so a we roll everything up into some big construct and you'd like to say uh, we have happy customers is going to be one of our big three things. But to have happy customers, we have to do twenty five things well. Which means possible, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. So now which one of the 25 I'm going to focus on and then we never get there. I mean, so it sounds like it's great, but all we've done is just abstract it to a higher and higher level without really getting specific on what we really have to change. So I see that or I see leaders who have the 15 things and refuse to prioritize one, two and three among the 15. Not even as good as you described these three matter, and oh, by the way, there are these other 12 that also count as well. And I see people struggle with that, and then they make up their own set. I mean, absolutely make up their own mind, what they want to do. Because if nothing matters, doesn't matter. And I always think about this phrase, again, I, I'm talking a lot about the military. It's funny, it's such a long experience from where I am today, but you just have some gems to kind of unearth and, and explore a little bit and expose. But it's like, as a leader, you have to be the keeper of the standards, too. So... Mm-hmm. If you're saying that customer service is the most important thing, you better show it in thought, word, and deed and break it down. 
break it down for people. What exactly? Because everything is a behavior. Well, almost everything is a behavior. <laughs> it's like we tend to think that, you know, people who lead or people who manage, um, they're just, you know, extraordinary human beings if they do it really well. And that's just not true. They develop skills. Mm-hmm. They express those skills consistently. They've got a rhythm. There's some predictability to the patterns of their behavior. Right. And it's really that simple. Right. It's exactly that hard, but it's really that simple. I think it is that simple. I think the hard part is actually understanding what it is you mean needs to be done in order to have more psychological safety or more feedback culture or happier customers or whatever your theme is, your big issue is. All right. Now, you said the first thing as a leader is I'm going to create clarity on what really matters. Because if you don't have clarity, there's no way we can hold a, a alignment accountable. And then you said the net, the rest is up to change management because people will do what is easy and natural for them unless there is some reason to do otherwise. So here's the next wonderful question. How do we get people to change? How do we do change management? Because, right, because it's so easy for us all individually right. to change. So how can we do it among 10 people? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part, right? There's the head that's logical. There's the heart that's emotional. And it's trying to create alignment for folks with the head and the heart. And so I always think, you know, helping people understand, and there's such great writing around this, you know, why, why we're doing what we're doing. And I think if you can explain a pretty compelling why, and that captures people's logic and emotional side of themselves, it can go along. And then the what, you know, what it is that we're going to do, and then the how, to some extent, how are we going to go about doing this? So if customers, so if I ran a chain of um, coffee shops, and we needed to increase revenue, through customer service experiences there, like there's our why, you know, why are we doing this? We're going to increase revenue for customer services because we want to delight the people who've been going to us consistently. So start there and then break it down for people. Take the guessing game out of, I love like looking at some of these, you know, new companies that emerge, you know, maybe out of Silicon Valley. I don't know, just, you know, they have a lot of thought to the creative side of their culture, but some of their behaviors just don't necessarily make sense. It's like, you know, what are we supposed to do here? Like, just get really specific. We're going to be creative. Well, what does that mean? Like, what is the, what is creativity in this? Like help people understand what they can be doing to be creative, I think is the goal. Right, right. And I think also where the boundary lines are. Oh, yeah. You know, when I say be creative, how much creativity, how wildly creative on what things on what other that means I just don't think we create boundary lines enough for people to know where they're playing within. Mm-hmm. And that's and that, love expectations. We really do. I don't think people hate change as much as we think people hate change, but change that doesn't make sense. We hate. Of course. And change that I had no say over. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> so. I think, it, I mean, you can tell me if you agree or disagree with this one, but I think sometimes when the the change is just passed down, okay, so you told me why you thought so, but I have a different opinion. I have a different set of experiences. I have a different set of concerns. Do I get heard in that? Does that, do my concerns get addressed anywhere in the process? And granted, there's some point at which the answer is no, we got to just go execute now. But if I have no voice, then why, I mean, why am I going to do what you're asking me to do? So what's your view on that? Uh, you know, it's funny. I, th- I think for everybody who has to, you know, instigate or initiate change, one of the most important questions that you should ask is, is this collaborative or is this really I need to make a decision? Because if it's collaborative, it's going to shape the process in which you 
you know, enact change. But if it's like you must do it, just being transparent about that, you know, and being as open as you possibly can. Like the board is telling me we need to go in this direction. And this is why we're going in this direction. You don't, you know, as much as you can share that transparency people reveal. But if it's collaborative and a decision has been made, then go with it. And one of the things I always think about when people um, still can't rally around a decision that was collaborative in nature after it's been made, if you can't support it, this is going to take a really hard stance. Then you have to really make sure that you belong in the organization Mm -hmm. and that you're not doing anything to either undermine or um, I hate the word sabotage, but I think sometimes people unintentionally sabotage initiatives just by the eye roll or the arms across their chests, you know, cross arms, or like their failure to participate in some of the problems. Or I'm too busy, I can't get to it, or whatever. There's a thousand and one ways in which we do that. Okay, so alignment comes first by having real clarity about what I want to accomplish. Is there anything else that's secret to getting alignment? I think some of the other things that we can bring into, so it is clarity, it is you know, communicating the why it is sharing with people expectations, potential impact, second, third order effects. So there's a lot of communication work, I think, that goes into the process. Then there's accountability and okay. especially holding people accountable when they fail to perform. Um, and people love that, except when it's happening to us, right? But now we say this, like, it is easier to hold yourself accountable and admit when you're a mistake, when you made a mistake, than it is to take accountability from somebody else <laughs> telling you made a mistake. Like we think yeah. people don't know when we mistake, we make a mistake and they do. It's better to initiate it than to, you know, than to receive it. Better to easy to say, I made a mistake. Let's fix it. Here's what I would do about it. Then for somebody to come and say, oops, did you realize you made this mistake? Exactly. All right. Fair enough. Exactly. Control the message. Okay. All right. So clarity, holding people accountable, strong feedback culture, we come back to. That's the part of the accountability, clear communications, break it down on what this means, why are we doing it, what it means we're going to be doing, and how we're going to be doing it, and clear on whether this is an execute mode or whether there's some room for give and take on the decision or the strategy of the ways forward. All right. You also talk about this um, play it safe paradox. What are you seeing? What's that about? Yeah. And this is really the start of, this is like the concept that we developed with our third book coming out, Bet on You, and that's going to be out next April. And it really was something that we were working through at the beginning of the pandemic, as far as what do we want to write about next, my business partner, Courtney and I, and we came into this concept of risk-taking. That's often Mm -hmm. a missing ingredient that a lot of professionals have. So I spent the whole time on this podcast talking about, you know, be accountable, be credible, and kind of these like tougher messages regarding leadership. And guess what? You are a really unique, wonderful human being that has so many amazing dreams on your mind that left um, dormant could lead a life of to a life of resentment. So how do you enact risk to make it work for you? Mm -hmm. So we started um, writing our book and just thinking like, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? And the problem is, is that we grow up really taught to play it safe. 
you know, don't touch that. Don't hang out with those people. Pick a safety school. It's probably not going to happen. You know, think about the nursery rhymes we listen to, like don't wander off the path because there's a wolf that might kill your grandmother and destroy your village. You know, all these things. And so they, those, those messages work. I mean, if you've never touched a hot burner or taken a ride from a stranger, play it safe is great until, and there's the until, um, you enact agency in your life. And you move from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. So now that you're in the driver's seat to get where you want to go, you're going to have to take some risks. And so when you people often hear the word risk, uh, they kind of get panicked. But we're like, wait, that's kind of paradoxical because we're like, play it safe until and now it's not going to get you to where it is that you want to be. We take risks all the time. You know, for those people who go to college or get married, there's only a 50% chance of success in those endeavors. Like that's a huge roll of the dice. Yet those are the things that we celebrate with parties and gifts and expensive whatnot. But now when we get a little bit older in life, our dreams and ideas are really unique to us. They're not so much societal, improved and endorsed. And to get there, to get from the bridge side that you're on to the other side you want to be at, uh, you again, you may have to stop playing it safe a little bit. You have to start taking some risks. It's um, interesting you say that because that's sort of one of the subtexts of this entire podcast series, you know, getting out of your comfort zone. I watch too many people who don't take a little risky opportunity. They don't take the risk to say, I think we could do this differently, or they don't take the risk to say, I could grow that business, or I want to lead that business, or I'm willing to leave this thing that I know and do something that I don't know so much about. Those risks, though, are what make careers. They're what keep you growing and learning and developing and show that you can do it more. I mean, and who wants a leader running a business who's afraid to take any risk whatsoever? I mean, that just isn't going to get us to growth. So I think there is a part of risk taking that's mandatory. The question is, which risks under which circumstances and at which kind of points in time with what safety valves, like what safety nets do you have? And that's where you have to remember it's your talent is your only true safety net. I think a lot of us, when we think about the choices that we want to make, maybe it's starting a bed and breakfast or starting a franchise or going back to school, you know, we tend to catastrophize what failure would bring us. I've got a friend who is seeking a role outside of her executive director role, and she wants to be an independent consultant. She has an easier time imagining herself as a crack whore living on the streets of Chicago than she does as somebody who can double her salary in a couple of years. And you think about like kind of those differences there. That's amazing. And I just remind her, I'm like, don't you think that at some point you'd say stop? (laughs) (laughs) Trust that your talent's going to lead you to a better place. Like it's not (laughs) be that dire, I promise you. And I think that going back to the risk message, and I think this ties nicely into the beginning of our conversation. If if where you sit right now, you want to build your leadership skills, guess what? It's going to take a risk. It's going to, you know, risk your time. You know, that extra 10% to show initiative, it risks your time. There's an opportunity cost there. If you're going to give feedback to somebody that's really hard to deliver, there's a risk, there's a relationship risk there, right? right. You're going to go for a promotion that better suits your talent. You're putting yourself out there. It could very well be that that doesn't happen. And so when you start to realize that we're surrounded by risk all the time, and if this is true, which it is, 
Should we know a little bit more about it? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds smart to me. All right, Angie, clearly I have to have you come back when the book is out and we'll talk again about this risk-taking. My guest today, Angie Morgan, the book we've been talking about is Spark. Their other book, prior book, is called Leave from the Front, and the new one coming out in spring of 2022 is Bet on You, How Leaders Win with Risk. Angie, thank you for being guest today. It's a real pleasure. Pleasure, Wanda. Thank you for having me. Join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your comfort zone. And if you like what you've heard today, like us on your favorite podcast player and check out our new subscription service, outofthecomfortzone.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. 